Today, as we go through the book of Acts, we have another sermon where we're talking about the nations. We're talking about how the gospel goes to every people, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every culture, every race. The gospel is for all people. And we have this two-part series in the book of Acts where we're beginning to see this transition being made in the book of Acts, where first the gospel was clearly going forward. It was going forward particularly to Jews. Acts 1 through 2. Nine, for the most part, is the gospel breaking forth among the Jewish people who were living in and around Jerusalem, and then suddenly it was breaking through into Samaria, and then suddenly to Gentiles beyond Samaria, and the Jews were kind of scratching their heads saying, we, had, we really had no idea that the gospel was going to extend this far and this wide. For the rest of the book of Acts, pretty much after this week, the rest of the book of Acts is about the gospel going all around the Mediterranean world. All around, bringing to every nation, to cities all across the Mediterranean as as the Apostle Paul plants gospel-preaching churches. Today we have this interlude, this moment where we get a study in the book of Acts on the church of Antioch. And what made this particular church so cross-cultural? Let me give you a little background on the church of Antioch. Antioch was was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. What's the third largest city in in America? Chicago. Okay, so we got some similarities here. Third largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. Uh, It was about half a million people was about how many people were living in this city. In those days, that was huge. It was much like a big, busy metropolis like Chicago would be. Uh, Some commentators back in the day referred to Antioch as the capital of the East. What was important about Antioch was that it was a very strategic cultural center for ideas, for people who were coming, people who were going. This is where ideas were birthed and would oftentimes spread throughout the Roman Empire. So if you were talking about a place that had strategic importance for the church early on, Antioch was up there. If we're talking about a city that has strategic importance for the growth of Chicago, for the growth of the gospel, I believe Chicago is at the epicenter of that. Let me just give you a little free bit. This is actually, while this is on my mind, let me just tell you this. One of the things we're praying for in this city is great revival. Do you wanna know why? Because when you go around the nation and when you go to other nations and you ask them about Chicago, do you know what Chicago's known for? When I was living in Thailand, and, and, and I would tell people I was from Chicago, you know the first thing they do? Every single person. Bang, bang, bang. That's what Chicago's known for. That's what they would do. And so what I'm praying for is that God would rewrite the story and he would get all the glory, that there would be a great revival in this city of people coming to know Jesus Christ. It happened a little over 100 years ago under the preaching of D.L. Moody. I believe it can happen again, that there would be a great revival and Chicago would be known as a city of peace. It would go from a city of violence to a city of peace. And the reason? Because Jesus got a hold of people in this city. Now, how does that work happen? The way that works is by churches beginning to have a true cross-cultural DNA understanding of how to reach people who are far from the gospel. Antioch was a fascinating church. As we're gonna see today, they had three firsts, three firsts that made them this amazing cross-cultural church. In Acts chapter 13, verses one to two, we're gonna see today, they were the first to officially send off missionaries. So you've seen before, next week we're gonna do it again. I'm gonna lay hands on on a missionary family and we're gonna send them off to the nations. First church to do that that we know of, this church that we're studying today. Secondly, this church was the first to take up a financial collection for another location that that we know of. We're gonna read that in Acts chapter 11, verses 29 to 30. And in Acts chapter 11, verses 26, they were the first church to be called Christians. 
Now that's interesting. They were the first church for a group of the outsiders from the church to look in and say, these people, whoever they are, are so unique, they're marked so differently that we have to come up with a label to describe who they are. Christians, it means Christ ones. They were Christ ones, first church to be called Christians. What made them such a powerful cross-cultural church? That's what I want to look at today. We learned from the text that they were <clears throat> this church that was sending people, that, that had different leadership from all the different nations in place. What, what was it about them that made them that compelling and cross-cultural of a church? So here's what I want to do today. I want to study this church at Antioch, and then I want to reflect on us as a church and ask us the hard question, is our DNA as a church in line with the church of Antioch? There are some commentators that say the most healthy church in the book of Acts is the church of Antioch. Okay, so what I want to know is, are we the church that beats, our heartbeat is similar to Antioch? And if it is, I think we should see some of the same fruit. If it isn't, we might have a hard time seeing some fruit and we might need some course correction. My guess is we're a little in between, okay? So first, let's jump into Acts chapter 11. And actually, Acts chapter 11 is going to be the story of Antioch, verses 19 through the end of the chapter is really our passage for today. But I'm going to actually start with a chapter later in chapter 13, where the author returns to Antioch, and I want to show you how they became the first church to send off missionaries. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for, for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them off. Now, pause there. We're going to go backwards and study Antioch in just a moment. But look at the fruit of this church. First of all, they had an incredibly diverse cross-cultural leadership. This is important to notice here. Look at who the men they had in leadership were. They had prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was from a place called Niger, Lucius from Cyrene, Menaean, who was Greek, and Saul, who was Jewish. If I were to put a map up behind me that shows where these men are from, they were spread out all throughout, coming from Africa and then also throughout the Mediterranean. Now, why was that important? Well, Antioch was a very diverse and segregated city. They literally, studies have shown in the architecture and the ruins of Antioch, you can find walls that separated people groups from each other. There were walls that these people groups lived, and there were walls where these people groups lived, and they literally had dividing walls between them in this large metropolis where they stayed separated from each other. If we think about Chicago, quite literally, oftentimes while we are a very diverse city, our city is segregated on street lines at times. And so in the middle of that, in Antioch, comes this church where they had leadership in place from all across these different cultural backgrounds, different language backgrounds, different racial backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, and they have this leadership in place. Now, why was this important? Well, because they were a very, very diverse location they were trying to reach, they had leadership from across this who could represent and speak into and console and speak into the hardships and the challenges of many of the different cultures that were being represented in this church. That was very important for them. Now, let me just remind you, we're a very diverse church. We're right in the heart of the South Loop, one of the most diverse neighborhoods in a very segregated city. 
And so part of our structure, part of our plan, part of what we've done in order to reach our neighborhood very, very wisely, thinking about Acts chapter 13, is we regularly say to ourselves, how do we have leadership in place that reflects the diversity of our neighborhood we're trying to reach? We think through all the different places where there's leadership. We think through elders. We think through deacons. We think through small group leadership. You just go through the pipeline of what does leadership look like. One of the things we strive for is to reflect our community that we're trying to reach. Why? That's what Antioch was doing. They had cross-cultural DNA. That's very important. Now, look at this. They were a sending church. They sent off their best. They laid hands on Paul, they laid hands on Barnabas, and they sent them off as missionaries. Can I tell you, as a church, one of the hardest things for me to do as a pastor is to send off missionaries and to send off people to other places. We have a long history of this at Park South Loop. Let me remind you of that. How did Park South Loop come into being, this church? We were sent off by some of our our, uh, uh, brother and sister churches, Park Community Church on the north side. They said, wait a second, there's an opportunity. A lot of people are coming to our church from this area. Let's plant. And so Kenson Lamb, nearly 10 years ago, I don't know if anyone remembers the exact date, about 10 years ago or so, planted what was Park near South down here. And they sent off about 50 folks from the north side to come begin a work here to reach these neighborhoods. When I came in as the pastor, we were meeting in this building about seven years ago, almost seven years ago to the day, We were meeting in this building, and we had a growing contingent that were coming from the Bridgeport neighborhood. And so do you remember what we did, those who've been here for a while? We sent off 70 to 100 folks from our church community to plant another church in Bridgeport. And we sent off Kenson Lamb. Now let me say, how exciting was it to send off 70 to 100 people to plant another church? It was amazing. Do you know how much that stings? First of all, to to the heart. Let me just remind you, when you send off people you love, that's hard. But then also, when you're sending off key leadership, you know what that does? It creates a vacuum of leadership. When you send off that many people, there's a financial toll. It takes some money to keep the lights running in this place. And when you send off 70 people who have been very committed, you see that in your budget. And so sending always hurts. There's always a sting to it. But healthy Antioch-like churches are sending churches that are regularly planting new workers, sending their best out, laying their hands on them and saying, we're not in this to be inward. This is not a, a, a social club. We're the people of God on mission to reach the nations for the name of Jesus Christ because he's worthy. And we will send our best to the nations. We'll send them to the neighborhoods that need more healthy churches. We're in the process right now of planting Noah Chung in Hyde Park. And a big group of folks from this room in the beginning of September will be going with him. And we'll feel that sting all over again. And it will be beautiful. And God will move through it. Multiplication is beautiful. Next week, we're going to get, I'm saying it again, we're going to get a chance to lay hands on the Garing family and send them off. It stings to send off a family who's that dear friends to us. But it's beautiful to know that they're going to be going to the nations to reach those for Christ. Now, I want to jump backwards into Acts chapter 11. That was Antioch. They got it. They did it. They're the, they're the example for healthy churches to follow. How do we be cross-cultural churches that are reaching the nations for the glory of Jesus? Now let's go backwards. What I want to do is study the church of Antioch and look at three bits of their DNA, three marks of the DNA that made them a church, and ask us, is this true of us? Mark number one, missional churches are steeped 
in cross-culturalism from their beginning. Missional churches are steeped in cross-culturalism from their beginning. Acts chapter 11, verse 19 through 22. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. All right, pause right there. Let's go backwards. Verse 19, what's happening? It says, those who were scattered because of the persecution. What are we talking about there? Acts chapter 6, you remember the persecution that arose on the early church. Saul, who has since come to faith in Jesus Christ, was leading a barrage of men to persecute the early Christians, and they killed one of the deacons of the early church, a man named Stephen. That was Acts chapter 6. The first martyr that we know of was overseen by Saul, who would eventually become the Apostle Paul. After that persecution happened, people got scared and they ran. That would be like that happening in this little church community right here. We witness an actual martyrdom and realizing, oh, our lives are in trouble. And if we stay in Chicago, we're in trouble. So they scattered throughout the Mediterranean. And the Lord used that scattering to bring the gospel, because the the gospel was on their lips as they went, to go to all the different nations around them. Most of the people who were scattered were only preaching to the Jews. That's what the text says. They were only preaching to the Jews. Except, but, verse 20, there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. Who were the Hellenists? They were the Greeks. They were the not-Jews. So most of them were still trying to get a footing on what does it mean that the gospel is not only for the Jews. But these two people from Cyprus and Cyrene, they go to Antioch preaching the gospel to the Greeks. Now this was completely strange. Obviously the disciples at this point still did not fully understand, even though all of the Old Testament explained it with clarity, that the gospel would be for all peoples under the sun, must be for all peoples, every tongue, tribe, nation, and language. These two disciples who were scattered began to understand this before anybody else, and they began to preach to the Hellenists, and it says in the text that the hand of the Lord was upon them. Now, let's do a little reflection right here. There's a book by Alan Hirsch. He's a missiologist. He studies missions, and he studies the the church in our day and age, and he's asking the question, do we do this? Do we live this out? And Alan Hirsch has this very interesting uh, idea of bit of data that he notes about modern evangelical churches. He says that 80% of churches in the West are attempting to reach 40% of the people that lived in America, that live in America. 80% of churches build from the DNA up. What are we about? How are we doing church? How do we structure our Sundays? How do we structure our midweek programming? What are the things we have in place? 80% of churches, almost 99% of what they do and what they promote and how they get after it and what they're calling their people to is focused at reaching the same 40% of people of the American population. Who are those 40% of people? It's what he calls the family values segment of America. Good, solid, well-educated citizens who don't abuse their kids, who pay their taxes. So get this right. 80% of churches are focused on swapping the same 40% of people in America who by and large already have a baseline understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ in their life. 
That's a problem. So the question I now have is, who's reaching the other 60%? 40% are swapping between churches. Most church growth, where you see churches going, you know, they, they write about this stuff. So-and-so church was one of the fastest-growing churches in America. So-and-so church was one of the fastest-growing churches in the city, right? Most of that growth is church swapping. It's Christians who are either moving in and they just find a church, but they were already Christians. The question I want to know is who's reaching the other 60%? And what does it take to be a church that's intentionally reaching the other 60%? The church in Antioch was focused from the beginning, around reaching the other 60%. Everyone else was going to the Jews. Then these two disciples said, what if we did things differently in Antioch? Hey, look at this city. It's the most segregated city in the Roman Empire that we're aware of. There's literal walls. The gospel I know can break those walls down. The gospel I know can heal that. What if we did this differently? Let's preach to the Hellenists. Let's see what God does. They built a church from the ground up trying to reach the Hellenists, and revival broke out in the city of Antioch. Who's reaching the other 60%? We all love the word mission. It's a, it's a poppy word. You know, you're around the church long enough, you're gonna hear guys like me saying, be missional, be missional. We're Christians, we should live missionally. Okay, heart time, confession time. When you saw that video, is that you? I'm not talking about where you live. It's not you, because you don't live there. You live in Chicago. I'm talking about the heartbeat of the person who was on that video. Is it you? If the answer is no, then our DNA is off. Now here's the thing, let me correct, let me correct that statement. Our DNA is right. Jesus has already rescued us and redeemed us from our deadness. He's implanted the Holy Spirit in us. It's there. We're not understanding the new DNA we have and we're not living into it. So if you're watching that video and you're saying, the heartbeat of that missionary seems to be a little different than my own heartbeat. What I'm suggesting to you is something's not right. And if collectively as a whole, we in this church are saying, it's really not that, then we need a DNA structure shift in this church. It's not enough to add another missions program. It's not enough to add another Sunday night learning excursion. It's not enough to say something. We need to get down to the cellular level. This is how DNA works. Every cell in your body holds the same DNA. If you cut your finger off and you, you go look at that thing over there, right? It, and you peeled apart and got to the cellular level. Everything that was true of your body, the DNA is true of that finger. No cell is missing the fullness of what makes the DNA the DNA. As individual cells, as a part of this body, if we do not collectively, not what are the programs we run, if we do not as a body hold on to this cross-cultural, we're going to reach the other 60%. It will not be true of us as a church. You can say, I hope that's true of my pastor all you want, or I hope that's true of the church leadership, and I hope there's programs that someone's doing that. But until it's held at your level, and you're living it, it's not true of the DNA of the church. Okay? Are you passionate about the mission of God? 
And if not, the answer is not to do more. The, the, the problem is a worship issue. And we need to know Jesus. We need to love Jesus because what flows out of a heart who's vertically in line with Christ is a missional desire to see the nations come to know Christ all around us. That's the first bit of the DNA. Number two, missional churches prioritize sound doctrine and mutual encouragement. Missional churches prioritize sound doctrine and mutual encouragement. Acts chapter 11, verses 22 to 24. We're still in Antioch. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. So what report? They heard that the gospel is breaking out among the nations in Antioch. And the people, the leaders in Jerusalem, uh, came, it came to the leaders in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to, Tars- to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So now Barnabas and Saul are in Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Okay, what just happened? So Antioch, this, this uh, revival's breaking out. The apostles send Barnabas. We keep coming back to this guy in the book of, Ant- in the book of Acts, don't we? Someone yell it out. What does Barnabas' name mean? Yell it loud. Yes, Kendra Gehring's got it, right? Son of encouragement. Do you remember I did a whole piece on looking just at Barnabas throughout the book of Acts. Wherever this guy goes, what's he doing? He's lifting up. He's encouraging. He's exhorting. He's saying, I see the spirit in you. Look at the way God's working over here. Come on, let's go lift these people up. Everywhere we go, Barnabas is an encourager. He's exhorting. And I ask the question, are we that kind of church? Are we the kind of church that looks across the body and we're encouraging one another? Can I tell you something? When you have a very diverse church, and I'm not just talking racially. Racially is part of diversity, but uh, diverse across age groups, diverse across socioeconomics, diverse across ethnicities. You know what you need a lot of? Encouragers. Do you know why? Because people who come from different backgrounds from each other, who speak different languages than each other, tend to come into conflict at times. And what you need is encouragers woven throughout the fabric of the church to be lifting each other up and saying, brother, I see the spirit in you. In the midst of a very diverse church, like the one that we're a part of in this family, we need a lot of encouragers. Because you know what happens over time? People from different stories and backgrounds and emotions and feelings and and, and languages and you name it different experiences, begin to ask questions about their brothers and sisters across the aisle. And are, are you feeling what I'm feeling? Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Did you experience what I experienced? And you know what needs to happen? You need people with the gift of encouragement to step into the deep end of the pool with it and say, brother, sister, man, we love each other. We need some of that in this place. We need it. Barnabas was that guy. And you notice how the Lord blessed the church in Antioch because of one guy who had that gift just stepped in the deep end of the pool in this diverse church, bringing life and light to people. And they had steadfast purpose. There was one person, uh, a famous quote that says, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. (laughs) And the modern evangelical church usually switches that around. They make it a museum for saints to get together and have country club Christianity. Not on my watch, church. 
Ain't no such thing as country club Christianity. We're gonna be on mission together. That's what this church is about, so welcome to what we're, on, what we're doing here. We're a hospital for sinners. They had steadfast purpose. This church in Antioch was reaching the other 60%. So what's Barnabas doing? He's not just feel good. He's exhorting them to stay true to their purpose. You see that? It's, Barnabas' encouragement was more than I love you. That's important. We need that. But it was stay true to what we're doing. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Do this. Right? Follow me. Come on. Let's go together. We can do this. Okay? That's what he was doing. He was encouraging it. You know, the deepest relationships in the church, let me, let me back up. One of the bits of feedback I've had over the years, I, I've heard people say in this church, you know, Pastor, we don't do enough community events. And what they mean by community events is times for us to just, like, actually, the word that I've heard is potlucks. Okay? And here's the thing. I love a good potluck as, as good as the next person. What we used to do before COVID-19, every members meeting was a huge potluck. We, we Potluck, and there was enough food for us to eat for two weeks of those things, right? So a good potluck is good for everybody. But when you build a church on potlucks, you will never be the church in Antioch. And so one of the things I'll oftentimes say to people when they say we don't have enough potlucks, I'll say this. If what you're after is to build community, Christian community is formed deepest on mission together, not around a potluck table. How many of you have ever been on a short-term mission trip together? Yeah, who, who's been on a short-term mission trip? Raise your hand. Yeah, a lot. The experiences you had with those people, stepping out of your comfort zones, bringing the gospel to people who are far from the Lord and hurting and in pain and suffering, I bet you were bonded with those people in a very special way. You experienced something of the nature of God together. Am I right? Nod your head. Yeah. See, that's not just a short-term mission trip experience thing. That's the church. You want deep relationships with the person sitting next to you? Go on mission together across the street. Step out of your comfort zone. Share the gospel with your neighbor. Come out with us on Fridays and Sundays all summer as we evangelize at Millennium Park. You want to build friendship and relationship? That's how Christians do that. You depend on potlucks, you become an inward-focused church. You depend on mission, you become a church bonded together by the blood of Jesus Christ in a powerful missional way. Now, what does Barnabas do? He's the encourager, right? Encouragement, encouragement, encouragement. Then what does he do? This church is growing. You know what we need? We need Paul over here. What was Paul's gift? Teaching, doctrine. This is the Paul who wrote the book of Romans, who wrote the book of Galatians, Ephesians, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy. That Paul, the great teacher. Church is growing we need to make sure we're rooted in doctrine. Now, just so we, we know this really well, I lean on the Paul side of things. I need a lot of Barnabases around me in this church because here's what happens. Here's what happens. You need sound doctrine in a church. You can make one of two mistakes. On the one side at Antioch, there's this amazing cross-cultural church. They've got two things going on here. They've got doctrinal teaching that can be hard. Truth can hurt. Root yourselves in the word of God. And they've got great encouragement and exhortation on this side. Barnabas and Paul ministry. You got both in the church. Actually, there's, I think, five prongs to this, but I'm calling out two right now, right? You've got two, doctrine and encouragement. If you're all encouragement and no sound doctrine, you become a liberal church who quickly leaves the gospel of Jesus Christ 
and becomes a social justice church. Okay, that's what happens. And so what do you need? You need the clear teaching of the word of God to ground you and to make sure you don't suddenly scope shift into something you were never intended to be. Okay, so you've got to have the encouragement and you've got to have the word of God. But you know what happens sometimes? If you're all word of God and you've got no one who's encouraging, no one who's stepping in, sometimes what happens is you begin, you begin to have so much truth that's not balanced with so much love that people get hurt and injured along the way. And so for every Paul, you need a Barnabas. And here's what's really beautiful. Across the church, there are these interesting gifts that God's given to the church where we lean into these different giftings. And what, what, what has to happen in the church is that some of you are going to lean doctrinally, like me. You're going to lean stronger on the teaching side of things. Some of you are going to lean on the other side, which is the encouragement and exhortation side. That's beautiful. Man, oh man, if it was all on one person to be all these things, we'd be in a whole lot of trouble, right? Because we're all a lot of sinners. <laughs> we bring a lot of junk into this place, and we're dependent on the fullness and the plurality of the church to bring all the gifts. So here's what I'm going to ask of you. What's the gifts you're bringing into this church? And do you understand how they're being complemented by the others in the church? You need both. You need the word of God and you need the encouragers and exhorters. And when those two things come together powerfully, what you begin to get is this, this missional, fueled, exhortational, stay-on-purpose church where every member understands their identity of who they are in Christ and what their participation in the body means. If one member suffers, we all suffer together. If one member grieves, we all grieve together. If one member rejoices, we all rejoice together. And no member is off the hook of living on mission together. Okay? Number three, missional churches are communally sacrificial. Missional churches are communally sacrificial. Acts chapter 11, verses 27 to 30. Now in those days, a pro uh, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. Pause, side note, the historian Josephus records that this famine actually happened in, in history in the Middle East. In that time period, it lasted for about three years, okay? Once again, I always try to show you history aligns with Scripture perfectly. Scripture's never out of line. So that the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. First of all, what do we notice here? God uses prophets within the church to communicate important information to the church. Now prophets and prophet, uh, prophecies can come in many different shapes and sizes. The general practice of prophecy can have a number of different looks to it. Sometimes, what I would say is rarely, not rarely in the sense that he doesn't do it very often, but in terms of its relationship to the normal use of the gift of prophecy, sometimes God is communicating a very clear thing. As we see, Agabus came down with a word from God warning the church of what was to come, a famine, okay? We see that sometimes happen in Scripture. More often than not, prophecy, the gift of prophecy, is used by people within the church to what? Encourage others, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3 says this. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Okay? So the gift of prophecy, the normal use of it is to speak encouraging words into another person's life. 
What are we talking about today in this, in this service? We're talking about encouraging each other. That's where you're receiving from God a word to communicate, to bless and upbuild others in your church. Pause, what does that mean? If ever you have a prophetic word that is not building somebody up, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna really challenge you on that. I'm not sure if that's a word that should be communicated, okay? Because this, what 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse three says is, is that when you're speaking a word to an individual, it should always be upbuilding them up in the gift of prophecy. Not that it can never happen the other way. That seems to be the normal practice in the, book of, in, the book, in the Bible. Now, what happened? There was a famine, and the people were physically suffering from no food. And so what does this church in Antioch do? Every member comes together. They had a church service just like this. Those who had much gave much. Those who had little gave a little. And they collected, and then they distributed it to the people in Judea who had need. Here's what's fascinating about this. Most of them had never met the people in Judea. They didn't know them. They weren't friends with them. They knew about them, but they didn't know. It wasn't like these were their buddies who were suffering. They were probably buddies with Barnabas and and Paul, but no one else in Antioch likely had met the people in Judea. They were foreign. They were distant people. And yet this church in Antioch that was cross-cultural, the first to send off missionaries, the first to uh, be called Christians, They all came together and said, there's Christians suffering down the street? Not on our watch. Wait, guys, we have the resources to take care of that here in in, in this church. So let's step into that. Do you see that this is DNA-level stuff? They came together, and the first reaction was, let's take care of this. We tend to think someone else is going to take care of the problem. Their DNA was someone suffering? Well, of course, we're gonna take care of that. We're gonna do that, each according to his need. What was their motivation for this? Clearly, they understood the gospel, right? They understood what Jesus had done for them because what has Christ done for us? Christ understood our need, that we had no hope. We were completely lost. We were cut off from God because of the depth of our sin. But Christ, in his infinite love, looked upon our helpless state, stepped into our brokenness, and sacrificed his life and blood so that we could have forgiveness of sin and life. That's the the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the sacrificial love of Jesus our Savior, stepping into our place underneath the wrath of God on our behalf. When you put your faith in Jesus, that was what you're putting your faith in. You're putting your faith in the idea, this person of Jesus Christ who gave himself so that you could have life because you could never pay your debt to God. Jesus pays it on your behalf. So where did their motivation come from? They look back to their Savior and they mimicked him. If he sacrificed greatly for us, and now we see other Christians who are in need, how are we not going to step into this? See, the church is a missional outpost designed to create Christians who sacrifice greatly for just like Christ. Christ who gave up his rights to step into our brokenness. Now, again, I have to ask us a very hard question. Is your life not just in finances, but finances included, marked by sacrificial love of those who are suffering around you? What's the question I'm asking today? Are we a cross-cultural DNA missional church. I want to be, be the church that's reaching the 60%. It's very easy to be the church that's swapping the same 40%. DNA, check. Are you, at the individual cell level, sacrificially concerned and in stepping into the broken places, the broken people? See, if it's not happening on the individual level, then it's not happening at the organizational level as well. The Lord's got some work to do on us. 
This is why membership of the church is such an important thing. When you step into membership in the church, what you're doing is you're stepping into this community that says, look, we see what Jesus has done, and here's what we're getting after to, to, together. See, as a church, we have a number of things we've done, and I wanna walk through this so you, you really get a sense for how this works. Specifically, they took up a financial offering. Here at this church, we've done this a number of times. We've created programs where everyone pools their offering together, and we create these programs where we fund work that needs to get done, our adoption fund. Remember, I've preached on this many times. Adoptions can run from $40,000 to $60,000 is how much an adoption can cost. But what we've done is we've taken the finances, the offering that you have all pitched in, so everyone who's given a dollar to this church now can step into brokenness because we can fund adoptions across the city. And we've given out tens of thousands of dollars across the city to fund adoptions. Why? Because religion that is pure and undefiled before the Lord is to take care of orphans and their widows and widows in their time of need. And so we're financing the work of adoption across the city, caring for orphans, caring for widows in the city across the need, across the city. We're right now putting together an entire program to help fund greatly the missionaries that we send off across out of our church. Why? Because we see this happening. This is how the Spirit's moving. We have a line building of missionaries preparing to go overseas. It's gonna cost a lot of money. That budget will grow beyond what we're being able to do capable right now. But, but the question I have is, is that your concern? See, when I say we've got a list of missionaries that we're sending off, and to send them is going to be beyond the budget that we have right now, is your first reaction to say, well, that's my, that's my problem. I need to fix that. Or is your first reaction to say, someone else will probably take care of that. This church, everyone pitched in. And again, DNA level, what are we about? Are we stepping into the brokenness? Are we stepping into the need? I want to reach the other 60%, but to do that, it's an every member ministry, every member bleeding, every member suffering, every member caring, every member in on it together. It's an every member encouraging, every member exhorting. It's an every member striving, every member equipping, praying, wrestling, hearing from the Lord, attempting great things, failing half the time, then picking yourself up with scratched knees, bruised shoulders, and trying it again. It's an every member picking each other up when we fall. It's an every member committed to working through conflict in the spirit of Matthew chapter 18 and not gossiping about one another. It's an every member feeding each other, telling each other to get there, to be there, to be present. It's an every member saying we're not quitting until Jesus returns and then we'll be glorified together for all eternity. It's an every member looking across the street and saying, I see someone who doesn't know the Lord and I'm up. It's it's me, it's not somebody else. It's an every member saying, come with me, do it with me, be on mission with me. It's an every member saying, my home has been gifted to me to steward for the Lord so the doors are open, the kitchen table's open. Someone doesn't know where they're gonna live, my home's where they're gonna live. Someone doesn't know how they're gonna pay the bills, I'm gonna pay their bills. It's an every member ministry and if we wanna reach the other 60%, it's gotta start that way. Church, we got a long ways to go. The Lord has done the incredible in this church. There's a lot of Antioch that I see in these walls. and We got a lot to strive after. I'm in. Are you? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we love you and we worship you.
The gospel is altogether too wonderful for me. I can't even believe it. But Lord, you give me the faith. You give us the faith that is too big for us. Jesus, form this in this church. Make us a missional community that knows the gospel, that lives the gospel, that, that, is, that is not content to be the same as the other 80% that's reaching the same 40%. You're worthy of every bit of our life. Work this at the blood level, Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' holy name.